Hello and welcome to the Postgrad Anime Club podcast. As always, here at the club, we watch and review anime in the hopes that we can help improve your anime viewing experience by guiding you to the good shows, the bad shows, and everything in between. I'm your host, Xander. Joined with me today are Elf, Sup? Doc, Glad to see you again, and Andy. Hey! O Maidens in Your Savage Season ran for only one season, consisting of 12 episodes and was produced by Leduce and had its original run from July 5th, 2019 to September 20th, 2019. For our dear listeners, you'll remember these so happen to also be the same exact dates, just nine years later, as the original airing of High School of the Dead. Interestingly, this anime was also aired in full before the release of the final volume of the manga of the same name. The series was co-directed by Masahiro Ando and Takuro Sakuda. Ando is known for their work in various animation, art, and directorial roles on shows such as Ghost in the Shell, Sirius the Jaeger, and Evangelion, the ghost of Ava is always present, Snow White with the red hair, and most familiar to our listeners, Sword of the Stranger. Sakada is no- also known for their work in art and directorial roles on projects such as Golden Kamui, My Hero Academia, Fate Grand Order, First Order, also the Ghost of Fate is always present, as well as Sirius the Jaeger and Snow White with the Red Hair. The manga, which this anime is based on, as well as the anime itself, is written by Mario Kada, who is best known for her works on Makia, When the Promised Flower Blooms, Anohana, Mobile Suit Gundam, Iron-Blooded Orphans, and Dragon Pilot Hitsune and Masatan. As always, this is a review, so there will be quite a few major spoilers mentioned throughout the podcast, so if you have not yet seen the show, feel free to pause the podcast and come back and listen to our review after. The show follows Hitoha Hango, Kazusa Onodera, Rika Sonazaki, Momoko Sudo, and Nina Sugawara as they come face-to-face with the reality of their feelings towards those around them. This all being kicked off by discussion about the dreaded word, S-E-X, or more commonly just stated as sex. Now, before we go any further, who watched this show subbed and who watched the show dubbed? For me, I watched it dubbed and I was very pleased by it. You watched, Elf has watched dubbed, Doc? I watched it subbed and I had no, no, no complaints. Andy? I watched it subbed. Um, I'm going to disagree with Elf. I tried to watch some of it dubbed, and it was not working for me. I, I, had, to, I had to stick to the sub. And then for myself, I actually originally, when this first started airing, watched it all subbed. And then on the rewatch, watched it all in English dub. Both have their good points and bad points, which we'll, which we'll get into later. Specifically, for me, the director's voice acting was... Very different between the two. But as we go into our first section, initial reaction. So for me, I really enjoyed the show. Um, again, watched it in the original Japanese dub and then again in the English subbed, uh, English dub to kind of get both those experiences. On, honestly, and it's not just because I like Mario Kata's works to varying degrees, but it definitely felt to me like a breath of fresh air watching it. Um, just something where the stakes weren't necessarily high on this giant galactic scale of, oh, we need to save the galaxy. Oh, the world's going to end if we don't do X, Y, Z things, which it does to to the characters. But in the grand scheme of the entire world, it was nice that the stakes were on a much more personal level for me. This 
anime actually has made me want to go search out and read the manga, which again came out in its entirety after the anime started finishing. So I really want to go read and see, you know, what did they have to do potentially to just finish an anime versus what might be in the manga. But Elf, what were your initial reactions? If Sigmund Freud were alive today, <laughs> oh no, I can't help but feel that he would be a massive weeb, and this would be the muse that would inspire him. Now, it's perhaps a bit of hyperbole on my part. I, well, then again, not exactly surprising. I do like the show a lot. I, I enjoyed many aspects of it. I think compared to a lot of shows in its general subgenre of high school romantic comedy coming of age anime we you know we all seen or at least have grown tired of the stereotypes a hundred times before it does its job well i don't think it's a perfect show i know when it came out a lot of people were saying oh anime of the year this is the best show of the season i don't think it's quite that high but i do have many good things to say about it but i also have a few critiques as well which i know we'll get into through the course of the episode, with a subject as intimate as this, you know, this is a show that is all about sex and coming of age, it does a lot of things right in the way that characters react, but I feel like there are several flaws in how characters themselves take action and act directly. Moving on to Doc, what were your initial reactions? Man, ain't hormones a bitch. This is coming from the man with the PhD. Everyone, that's it. Did the podcast. That's it. Have the PhD yet. I have degrees <laughs> that are not definitely not purchased off the internet. Totally not. Definitely, totally, absolutely not. No, this this show. I have a lot of good things to say about it. When it when it comes to like me walking into this show for the first time, you know, I had heard so many good things about it, but I was still pretty skeptical. Because I I was honestly thinking that this was going to be, be a show that like, just focused on young girls coming in into their own age and just talking about sex the whole time. I honestly just thought it was just going to kind of devolve into some very generic, kind of cardboard cutout kind of uh, facsimile of what high school could be. And I was pleasantly surprised. I, I was as, kind of astounded as to how human these characters were and how they took and handled both well and poorly, especially poorly, uh, the problems that they faced as they began to really tackle some really serious uh, concepts that a lot of people struggle with. So on that end, I was pretty pleased. Uh, I have a lot of things to agree with when it comes to what Elf just said. It is a good show. Perfect? No. There's some holes in its overarching plot. I think they tried to put in just a little too much in certain areas. Some places dropped off, but we'll get into that in a moment. The show is good, and it does a good job of tackling some tough questions and some tough topics when it comes to, you know, hitting your high school years and realizing that you're no longer a child, and you gotta grow up somehow. And I, I like the way it portrayed those challenges. And Andy, what were your initial reactions? 
my initial reaction was this is a great premise. It deals with subject matter, which you don't see in a lot of anime. The role of reconciling sex in your life as you go through puberty in high school is something that everyone experiences, but you rarely get to see it animated in story form. But what started out as like an enjoyable comedy with a unique subject matter turned into a little way too much melodrama for my tastes. So it, it, this was not an easy show for me to get through it. It, uh, it, 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 my viewing of it really felt like it just really felt like it dragged, but there is a lot of good about this show and there was a lot that I enjoyed in it. And I look forward to discussing it. Kind of moving forward to talk about the show elements and particularly the directorial style, color palette, use of bad CG or good CG. I really found myself enjoying the over-exaggerated expressions of some of these characters. I'm thinking mainly whenever uh, Rika would kind of go off on a tangent about something or, re- or react to to someone saying something about the word S-E-X or when she's talking to her boyfriend. I always found those scenes very, very enjoyable. They were lighthearted enough where... Yes, it might kind of break the tone of the character animations as uh, from the rest of the show, but I also found it very endearing um, to to look through and watch as I saw these characters kind of progress throughout. I also really enjoyed the the different scenes and how Nina, for a lot of these for a lot of the scenes, especially with her director, um, would always everything was always in darkness for the most part, except for her flashbacks. Um, and while some of the other characters, I think Kazusa actually has a line in there when um, she's thinking about Izumi sa- just saying, oh, that cliche line of, oh, isn't the world so much brighter? Or, oh, doesn't everything look so much so much better having now been in love? Um, I found those touches to be very enjoyable overall. But Elf, what are your, what are your thoughts on the directorial style color palette? Color palette is nice uh, to the point about Nina being in darkness. I think half of that is honestly just to make her stand out more because her skin is like the kind of paint that you'd see in the Protestant church. It, it, her skin just glows like alabaster. She's like a walking nightlight. Uh, in, in terms of animation, I, I guess in general or uh, directorial style, I, I have nothing to immediately fault it with. There are no egregious mistakes here. Uh, in terms of animation, I, I do find some errors. Like, it's, I don't know if anyone else picked up on this, but when you get like full shots of characters walking, the knees just do not look right on half these characters. Like, they are way too low or way too high. I, it's something about the legs are just not properly done <laughs> in this show. These girls it, clearly skip like. <laughs> I, I think the animators did too. It, it's honestly kind of weird. And you do get a couple of shots, like I think, especially in the episode where they go on retreat, where the eyes just kind of look a little off, like they're a little off center. I don't know. I don't know if it's just yeah. like this, not just this anime, but other anime. It's always the legs that are just never look a hundred percent right half the time in those wider shots. You think it's usually like the mouth and the you know the lips and the fingers that are the most difficult to animate because yep. they have the most you know muscles and bones in them but it's for no, some it's always it's the legs the legs they never well it's, it's because even, they 
put so much effort into the eyes and the and the fingers that by the time you get to the legs, it's like ah, just, just sticks. That no, in the it's background. Like, that in the yeah, background. It's, like, it's like it's like watching a mannequin skipping along on chopsticks sometimes. Uh, here we go. The Secret Life of Puppets returns. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I mean, of course. We'll get to that later. Uh, I, I mean, uh, that's you have to be looking for it to immediately pick on pick up on it. At least most of the time, it can be a little jarring, but usually they pass by quickly enough without too much issue. The comedy, the comedic reactions. I'm never a huge fan of those sorts of over the top things, especially more melodramatic anime. It's one of the big hangups I have with your Lion April is the way that you'll go from these big, sweeping, melodramatic moments to these, like, typical anime, you know, manga-style reaction shots, or what I just call anime shit, to be very blunt about it. Which, I, I'm not a big fan of it, because I really feel like it takes you out of the moment, and it it's way too hard on the comedy. Now, especially in the earlier episodes, it works out fine, because the tone is very lighthearted, and those comedic shots do add that sort of buoyancy to the language, and they give a little bit of more levity to the joke. As the show proceeds further, though, and you do get into this long, melodramatic, weird love triangle storyline, it does become a little much at times for me. But again, I, that's also just a personal taste. I had the same problem with the FMA Brotherhood. A lot of those reaction shots that you have in the manga, they're just put right into the anime, and I, I just hate them. They're so grating at times, especially in big dramatic moments. But that—that's, I think, is more of a personal style uh, consideration. So, I mean, if they're going to go that way, and they do, they do fine with it. I don't have any major complaints in animation or direction, aside from some very, rather stilty shots. Andy, did you have a did you have a point you wanted to bring up in there? Oh, I think I just I want to agree with Elf how. Um, drawing legs wa- walking is actually surprisingly more difficult, especially when most of the time I, most animators are focused on what's happening with the face and maybe arms. And even in video games, if you ever like watch like a character model walking upstairs, most of the time the animation is pretty lousy. They don't get it right. So I feel like it's sort of across the board. Depicting the human form walking is something which you may not realize is pretty difficult to get right. Fair. The, the body in have... movement is a perplexing creature. Clearly, we just yeah. need to put all the girls on hoverboards, and we just solve that problem right there. Honestly, if we could just make an entire anime that's just faces, I'm sure we could get rid of most of these problems. I f- I feel like that exists somewhere. Probably yes, does. it does. It's called, v- it, it's called it VTubers. <laughs> VTubers where they just clip the face, basically. It's everything above the shoulders. That's it. Are VTubers the future of anime? Okay. Um, All right, that is not a subject we are getting into today. So before we we're go not down trash that, taste. Before we go down that dark rabbit hole, <laughs> talk. Thoughts. All right. Well, while Elf shorts out on that subject, oh, no. we're all shorting out on that. Yeah. Um. I don't know if there's anything more than that I can add to that. I mean, the the color palette, it it works well. It's, for the most part, very lighthearted. It gives a stronger base as to what emotional scenes there are, and it really helps sort of bring out the characters and their actions and their deeds and communication that goes on between them. When it gets into the more melodramatic stuff, 
it shifts into a more uh, darker, more negative, a lot more night scenes show up. It, they handle that transition fairly well. I don't have any complaints about it. With the occasional slip-up on character animation, which again, it, it's fairly minuscule overall. I Most of the time, you probably won't even see it because there's always, uh, usually a lot going on in a scene, so I really don't have much to complain about that. I mean, if you want, we can also talk about the music as well. I, I want to know, what Elf, what you thought of the, the score for, for this piece. I really wish I could remember any of it, if I'm being entirely honest. I, 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 I could feel when pieces were being repeated. That, that in itself is not a problem. It's just nothing about it really stood out to me, if I'm being entirely honest. This Because when I was watching this, I was thinking back to the other, you know, rom-com, coming-of-age, high school melodrama mm-hmm. show that I have in some esteem, which is your line, April. And that score is fantastic. So in comparison to that, I mean, the score, to me, just does not stand out a lot. I forget who does it. It's not bad. I, I can't say that it's bad. It just... I can't... I could not hum to you a single theme from the show. I, I don't know what, what more I can add to it. I mean, overall animation style, color palette, all of, all of the characters are distinct. I can remember all of them. I mean, it they they work. They're all unique in their own in their own special ways. So I don't know what else I can say about it. It's that part I don't have many complaints for. So what you're saying is this isn't Berserk 2016? No, no, it is not. <laughs> We should definitely review this at some point in time. I, Moving forward, I, before Doc can no, reply. I, <laughs> no, definitely I, is a strong word. <laughs> <laughs> Andy, what were your what were your thoughts on kind of the the animation, the color palette, the directorial style? Um, yeah, I think it was pretty competently directed. Like the fact that it doesn't stand out as poor direction or a poor score sort of lends to the fact that it was pretty solid. I like Elf. I actually did notice there were some times when the character drawings, and this is more the art side that I'm commenting on. Some of the character drawings, you, you could just notice like, Oh, okay. This is definitely like the B animator who's drawing this character at this moment. Your eyes are a little too low and doesn't look great, but that, honestly I noticed it, but it didn't happen too much. Um, Score nothing really stood out to me, but it was enjoyable enough. Yeah, it was. It was just. It was. It was solidly done across the board. Um, nothing to sort of rave about in particular, but nothing to really, uh, you know, mark it down for either. Oh, ca- character character design wise, I I did enjoy the character design style. It's a little bit more simplistic, but allows for dr- like more easily drawing very emotive expressions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if. Anyone has seen the last the, the anime Last Exile? It's sort of like it's one of my favorites, which I think is a very underage show. But Kazu's, Kazusa's uh, character design looks exactly like the, one of the main character, one of the two main characters from that show, uh, Lavi. And I, I I went and checked to see if they had the same character design artist, but they it, um, they did not. It goes on the list. <laughs> The never-ending list. The, ne- the never-ending never list. Ends. Don't worry, we'll get through some of the list here. Okay, some is a very strong word. Uh, some we'll, implies we'll, multiple. We'll try. 
<laughs> we'll try, dear listeners. We'll try. I think in terms of the score, the only ones that stood out for me were obviously the OP and the ED. Obviously, they're they're there, and also ep- episode one. Uh, when Kazu says running through the town, you just hear train, train, da 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 da, just in the background. I thought that was a really good choice of a uh, background music. And then episode eight's insert song at the bonfire, to me, it just set the mood in a different way. But that, again, maybe that's just me having watched it twice and knowing, knowing when and where those songs would come in. The only other thing I'd like to mention, just on my part, because I had forgotten my original spiel, is that. Whenever characters go through a change in the show and it's reflected in the OPs, I really personally enjoy that. And in episode four, three and four, when Rika changes her look, goes from the ponytail to um, just having her hair straight down with bangs, that character design is then from episode five onward in the OP. That's the character model that they use, except for one small scene. And it's just little things like that that I personally enjoy. So in terms of writing and pacing, just to kind of start off on the point of is the is the writing strong or weak? I'll have to kind of leave that to the others in terms of, you know, breaking down the, the nuances of the show. But for me, as someone who has seen a fair, fair deal of this coming of age high school drama style show, it did definitely feel like a breath of fresh air. Again, I think the only other shows that I can think of that stand out in my mind would be your lie in April, as Elf has mentioned, Nisekoi and Order Gairu. And I would also put Amazing Savage Season, you know, standing out for the particulars of what it's trying to do with its story. Um, my main gripe with the writing is that I'm not sure if this is also because of the medium of it being whittled down to 12 episodes versus an eight volume manga, but kind of not having as many interactions between certain sets of characters. Like I can't think in my mind too many conversations, if any at all of like Hongo talking directly to Kazusa or Rika directly having like side conversations with Momoko. Um, I would have just liked to see those interactions more that would have filled out. I think the, the, uh, the high school universe a little more and develop those character relationships because it seems like they're all, generally good friends at some level but it but is also saying like okay they're friends that go through all these different things with each other but i don't necessarily see them talk to each other a lot uh, but elf to kind of shift off to you in terms of writing being strong or weak yeah your point there i think is actually very poignant in that as the series progresses we narrow in further and further on that awkward love triangle between Izumi, Kazusa, and Nina. The isosceles triangle? You- Very isosceles <laughs> triangle, because it's I, it's interesting to see how it's set up, It's but it's also, uh, like, so much of this can be settled so easily, but that's, that, that, that's, that's something I'll talk about a little later. <sighs> but you do bring up the good point in that the main cast of five girls seem more like just club members than a coherent group of friends at points, especially in those later episodes where, yeah, some of them have things they don't want to exactly talk about with each other necessarily for good reasons. You know, Hongo trying to blackmail a teacher into having sex with her is not something you go around blathering to anyone and everyone. 
you know, not a good look. Then, uh, I feel like I'm going to get her name wrong. It's Shinazake, isn't it? Yeah, Rika. Yeah, Rika. I, I, like, I like the last name. Oh, Sonazaki. 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 Yeah, Sonazaki. My, my mistake. Zaki. Yeah. Sonazaki kind of drops off the radar after the Culture Festival episode. <laughs> Because her character arc is all wrapped up. She gets a nice boyfriend, she yeah. kind of chills out a bit, she becomes a fine, upstanding young lady, and she's just in the background now. Which is a shame, because I liked her character a lot, because I know that if I were in her position, or if I were in this show, I would have been her as a character. If I went to a co-ed high school, I did not. I went to an all-male school. If I went to a co-ed high school, I absolutely would have been someone like her. So I completely related to her entire story, and I... Loved every second of her. The the writing itself is solid for a show like this, and it does do certain things uniquely, which I think is part of Mar- uh, Mario Kata's style. That is so nice to see within this subgenre as a whole. Namely that characters don't act rationally all the time. And there is no better way to demonstrate this than with a group of teenage girls falling in love. Because there are various actions they take that are you know, from our objective viewpoint, awkward or seemingly not exactly well thought out or irrational or hasty. But in the context of the show, that makes perfect sense. Okada has a way of capturing characters in the moment, making hasty decisions without thinking things through. She's met, she dis, she's able to separate the writer's own knowledge of the circumstances from the characters in a very effective way. And I do like that a lot. I think it comes through, especially with Hongo, who is taking these extremely drastic actions for a girl her age because she wants to make it big as a writer. I mean, yeah, I did too when I was in high school. I didn't try and blackmail a teacher. But the way she acts is the way that someone really driven by a particular desire at that age might act. They think they're way smarter than they are. And that's ultimately Hongo's great character flaw and a very good character flaw for someone to have is that they think way too highly of their own intelligence. It's it's just something I really like to see to see in those characters. Towards the end, and I think Andy will bring this up as well. It does get a little melodramatic, and certain actions just seem very peculiar, and it makes me feel for Izumi, the poor guy. I empathize with him perhaps more than any other character in this show because oh man, does he get so much crap thrown at him from episode one onward? His life is just facing the consequences of this group of girls coming up with all these ideas, and he just has to be on the receiving end of it, and he's just trying to be the nice guy. And he just wants really to watch trades. The guy just wants to watch trades and pornography on Blu-ray disc. And trades! Just let him live his best life! But no, he has to get caught up in this grand conspiracy, and he then he has to go to a school that's under a really half-assed siege that... Can I just say, the whole idea of the principal and the assistant principal just letting the girl's whole shtick run its course and not bothering to deal with it is hilarious, and I love that take. As someone who went to public school, that is exactly what would happen. Yeah. So, you know, she shows up there at the end, and he's trying to explain how he feels, and Sonazaki is like, how dare you say that about girls? How dare you say you're only attracted to them for their bodies? And I'm just thinking... What's the poor guy supposed to say in this instance? What? How is he supposed to deal with the situation? And you're... Well, there's an open window, so go. Yeet. 
That's I his only a, safe I route. I had a very dark joke there. I'm not going to go there. <laughs> but, but, but yeah, it's part of Okada's style that I think can be off-putting to certain people is the way that characters act irrationally or without forethought. But I personally like that because I think it makes the characters feel more realistic. That's That would sum up my general thoughts on the show's writing. I mean, there are individual instances I'm sure we can talk about, but my general thoughts on the writing, it, it's Mario Kata. It is, you're going to get what you're going to get, either you like it or you don't. Doc, your thoughts, at least in terms of the general the general writing, whether it be strong or weak or any specific um, points that you wanted to bring out there? I think the overwriting, if we're go- we're going to start there, is it is strong and it is strong enough to withstand any of the weak points or kind of holes that were created while this story was uh, was ongoing. The characters, as we have been saying, they are not rational beings, but that's the whole point of this show. This show is not about some singular individual who is so either self-righteous or self-confident or just has really big hair and is therefore perfect, fighting their way through all the trials of high school and achieving everything they want or, you know, beating their rival or getting that trophy or getting that harem. This is this isn't that. And it's so nice to see that, because I am not a big fan of those shows. If if O Maidens was to turn that direction even for a moment, I probably would have switched it off and never gone back. This show tackles the really muddy and difficult terrain that is figuring out who you are, what love is, it starts off with these girls just trying to figure out what sex is, and I'm I was happy to see that sex was used as a gateway topic to transition into much deeper and albeit more melodramatic ways of dis- uh, talking about what does it mean to love someone and how do you express that love? What do you do when you want to tell someone that you feel for them? But someone else feels that same way for the same person. We get that weird isosceles triangle that, honestly, I'm not really sure this show needed. But it helped to bring the, the, the topics to the fore. As we mentioned, and I'm going to leave that to you, is the ending, eh, I feel like it could have transitioned the last part a little bit better. I, I think that we didn't need things to go to the lengths that we did to get our final points across. But overall, I don't think it was a serious problem. I think all of the characters, be they written well, like what I think Rika was, she was, I think, by far one of the best written characters, even though her arc ended a little early. But I think that just strengthens the the whole her whole plot. She was the first of the girls to actually be successful in what she wanted. And it was nice to see that at least one of them and then others reached that happy point and then stayed happy. I was a little concerned 
once we got to the culture festival that oh no something bad is gonna happen that she's just gonna get crushed somehow and i was not looking forward to that happily it didn't happen and i think that sort of serves to the wider message of this whole show is that this time in someone's life is extremely difficult but there are good things that can come through it and that if you keep moving and keep fighting you will you will get to a better place it may suck really bad in the moment but if you just keep going you will get to a place where you can look back on it like i think all of us here can look back on our high school years and go ah, okay that um why <laughs> to sort of <laughs> look back on ourselves and i i can't speak for the rest of you but I most certainly looked at these characters and I could make some connections. And I think, yeah, okay, I can I can definitely see myself being in s- some of these girls' shoes. And even though I did not experience these same things, because I'm not a girl, so I can't get that. But I think this, the struggles speak to, to everyone. Everyone's been a cringy high schooler trying to figure out what does it mean to hold hands with someone and learn about what what does it mean to want someone for their body, but also want someone for their heart. It's messy, it's hard to follow, but it works. I think the writing is good and solid. It's only made stronger by its slip-ups. That's my thought. And now, Andy, what are your thoughts on the general writing as as a premise? And kind of it being strong or weak? You know, I thought it was a little all over the place. I It was at its strongest when it was portraying these characters, trying to grapple with their emotions, trying to understand how they truly feel about things, trying to reconcile the role of sex and, and relationships are playing in their lives now that they're getting older. But then they sort of try to insert different levels of comedy and melodrama. And it, it's very sort of a drastic change from a lot of this, you know, serious dealing with these emotion, emotions. You get these like spurts of absurd reactions for comedy or melodrama that to me just sounded, felt like it felt like sloppy writing, to be honest. I think just, I, th- I just think the writing wasn't for me. I, I found myself uh checking like mid episode when there was sort of like an emotional uh resolution to a particular character's like con- uh, arc in an episode and seeing that oh wait I'm only a third of the way through we're going to deal with other characters and what's going on with them and at the end of the day it just seemed like a little too much was going on and when the when they needed stuff to happen, they bored, it, it sort of strayed into the absurd. Uh, I don't know. It, this this clearly wasn't really my sort of show. I I liked the subject matter, but I felt like the the way people grappled with their conflicts was just really uneven across the board. Just kind of going off of that, do you think that that unevenness was meant to portray kind of that feeling of emotion? Like people not necessarily making logical decisions all the time, or do you think it would have been better had the characters stuck to a more objective and logical sense of decision making? Or is um, it I just the writing was, in general? 
in the. In I mean, that I think stream. there there could have been a a sweet a sweet spot where certain behaviors weren't as absurd, but they still could serve. They could have conveyed the difficulty of you know grappling with their emotions without having such over comical such comical overreactions that weren't believable. Is there a particular scene that sticks out to you the most? Just as an example. I guess Hongo, uh, Hongo's interactions with Norimoto in, in general, um, the, the, they went all the way to a, to a love hotel. That was just completely absurd, in my opinion. Is it uh, though? Yeah, I, I, I have to disagree with that point. I mean, we he like he real... like behaves as like a mentor in some scenes, and then he just sort of leads her on in others to like see. Okay, maybe maybe I'll give her words of advice to sort of help her learn or maybe i'll but then in other scenes she's he's like oh i'm gonna put her in an extreme situation and make her sort of play chicken and that'll help her learn it, it just seemed all over the place to me the relationship between mr milo and hongo reminded me of death note and that you have With two characters. intelligent people trying to out essentially outsmart one another because all their react their inter their relationship is one of essentially outsmarting one another Mr. Milo knows that Hongo already has essentially a kind of proof that he was having, you know, sexual conversations with one of his students. That enough would be that would be enough to discipline him right there. So Hongo tries to blackmail him. Well, he's going to try and lean into that game. He knows that she's inexperienced and nervous. If he can just intimidate her off through various means, then he can make her go away and this whole situation can resolve itself. The problem is they keep trying to one-up one another. Is it strange? Yes, I wouldn't necessarily call it absurd. I think it fits within the context of the characters. These are things... Hongo would think that she's clever enough to try and blackmail this guy because she has the power. She's a teenage girl accusing a male teacher of sexual harassment. If she would actually go through with that, she'd probably be believed. And she'd be able to ruin the guy's career. He, on the other hand, knows I'm the adult... I can be one step ahead of this girl. I can outsmart her and get a, and just finish this once and for all. I think it's very yeah. much within the sensible decisions these characters would make. I wouldn't necessarily. I. It's absurd in the sense of this is very drastic. I wouldn't call it absurd as in improbable or unrealistic. I mean, I definitely side with Yamagishi. I don't think he actually did anything wrong to warrant feeling like he could be blackmailed so easily. I mean, there were conversations online. He didn't seem to actually know how old this person was, and he was more meeting out of curiosity because he thought, oh, I, this sounds like a dude. I kind of want to see what the hell the person writing this stuff is. In front of a school board, would that be a good excuse? No. And there you have the entire cause of the conflict. You know, I think I, think I know the one thing that would help shore up all of these you know, misgivings that these characters have towards each other. That's a competent adult figure. That's a competent adult figure. Yeah, Mr. Milo, uh, he does not fit that. This show lacks proper adulting. None of the adults shown. No parent, no school official, no one seems to either notice, understand, recognize, or care about what is going on. And none of the girls seek advice from anyone who's been through this. 
Is that unrealistic, though? Oh, no, I'm not saying it's unrealistic. I'm not saying it's unrealistic, but I am saying watching those few interactions between uh, the girls, especially Kazusa and her parents, is just Christ. Oh, they are very cringe interactions, I agree, but again, considering the subgenre, it's not that surprising. The whole point... Like, like, like you just said, yeah, a competent adult figure could sort this out. Congratulations, you don't have a show if you do that. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong, we never see Hongo's parents, or no. Nina Sugawara's parents, and we only see Sonazaki's parents for, like, that one clip where I, the I think we see her mom, and that is it. Yep. Yeah, but that's in the scene where she's like, you brought, you brought shame to her Yeah, or like, y- like, shameful that. display, and that's it. Okay, I'm just making sure that the only real yeah, adult it. figures comes basically from Kazusa Nizumi's families and then yeah, the teachers. Yeah, that's And I'm not calling them competent in the slightest. Fair enough, but kind of moving on to... I don't want to say world logic in, in and of itself, but to kind of go over uh, more of the writing in specifics, were there any unfinished stories or storylines or story arcs that... Um, people would have liked to see more of or um, kind of wrapped in that the writing of specific characters or things that they didn't uh, feel very fleshed out. The the couple of things that stand to my mind, I think Elf had said this earlier that, and actually Doc had commented on this, that whole hostage situation in the school takeover was gold to me. Like, as, as crazy as it was, I just found myself enjoying just the fact of like, Yes, these <laughs> these five high school girls have taken over the entire school. The principal and vice principal have just said, yep, nope, see ya, we're gonna go. Enjoy our weekend. Bye. We'll come back tomorrow morning. And and then Emmy, the uh, the other teacher, just like, bikes past, I think it's Sonazaki and Amagi, the, the boyfriend, just like, I'm leaving too, I'll bring you McDo- I think the subtitle said, McD's. actually, I'm bringing you Mickey D's in the morning. Yeah, MCD's, that was the subtitle. See, that was the one moment adults actually showed competence in the entire show, realizing that this situation was a bunch of teenage melodrama and just saying, nope, not dealing with this, and going away. Mm -hmm. In terms of, you know, for me, any other main story arcs, Momoko, Hongo, and Nina, I think, suffer from it being only 12 episodes and not having more time to develop their backstories, at least to me, you know? Obviously, Momoko's kind of there, kind of not there throughout the all the episodes. Nina's director coming in, these very brief flashes of in a couple episodes. It was, I could see that that was the plot point that they were going for, but at the same time, to me, it was also not well done enough to me, if that, if that makes sense in the sense of I think that has a lot more connotations to it that I think the show to to do the storyline to its credit would have to explore in more depth. And I think that it didn't, I am very glad though, that the show also through Izumi's reactions to Nina telling Izumi about her interactions with the director made it very clear. That is not okay. It is very creepy. Um, but, it is, yeah. but here's the thing with Nina and her director, at least this was the way in the English dub. I don't know how it was the sub, it's implied the relationship is kind of weird, and it's implied the director is a... Not a little. He's very odd. But he Nina's was the most the, interesting character, I have to say. 
Oh, yeah, he, that's the thing. He yeah, is interesting, far. but for this Sigus, odd reason. The, the director. So, Nina says, like, oh, no, he never actually touched me or anything. Yeah. And it used to be, like, and, okay, it still sounds very creepy. But, and he, he, like, he's later on willing to seemingly go through, you know, being sexual with Nina. And, of course, she fights him off. But his character is just mysterious in a way that you kind of want to know more. It's very out there. Yeah. Have you ever seen the f- film uh, Lars? It's v- Lars von Trier's uh, *Nymphomaniac*. I have heard of it. I've not seen it. It's, it's rather in long. In part, isn't it? in yeah, it's like it's it's a two, it has two parts to it. In part yeah. two, the protagonist is working for like a mafia group, and it's sort of her job to to blackmail people for. Um, who aren't paying their debts or something like that. And she comes upon this guy who she can't break. Like she can't seduce him. She can't do whatever. And then she kind of figures out that this dude is a pedophile, but he never acts on it. And he sort of in- internally, he suffers so much because he never, he, he never acts on what he's attracted to. So, and, and in some ways he's a borderline hero for having been dealt like, his th- those cards and never breaking the law or never giving in to them. Saigusa kind of reminded me of that character, and it was it was pretty interesting. It it seemed like he he was a legit pedophile, but he was also attracted to like the innocence and spontaneity of child of of children. And if he were to actually sexually engage with them, that in his eyes would ruin the appeal to him. So it was almost like that's why he didn't actually seem to touch Nina when she was younger. It seemed like, no, but maybe but he is but willing that, to do so once you know. In, yeah, in he saw the, so in the hotel. because because and my theory is because he felt that okay, she's almost like she's pretty much past her. She's now becoming of an age where she no longer has this childish appeal. If I'm going to act on it, it's going to be now, and I won't like ruin, and I won't ruin her, so to speak. Like it's 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 a messed up level of like thinking, but that's cool sort of how still I understand. Yeah. Oh, creepy as hell and incredibly original. I have to say, like it. it I, he to me, he was just clearly the most interesting character, and I kind of. Like I, I mentioned before, I sort of felt like the melodrama and plots in each episode were just sort of stuffed full. And as Xander points out, it really could have used a few more episodes. And I, I would have loved to get like more resolution to Hongo, Nina, but also more uh, Sagusa, the director. He was, he was peculiar. He was like, he was interesting. Now the thing with Sagusa, I find is you do get the pedophile vibes from him, but I sort of took a different perspective on him. In that he came off to me, at least as he's depicted, more of the guy who is way too obsessed with the idea of art for art's sake. Mm. He comes across to me more as someone who doesn't, someone who's not keen on sex or the ideas of adulthood and sexualization because it makes art dirty in a way. It makes it more worldly. Whereas this guy seems to be living much more in his head. And children Mm. in that same way... They are, because of that spontaneity and that sort of innocence, they don't exactly live in the real world. They sort of have this their own mythos that they create about themselves. So to me, Saigusa came across more as 
someone who is so repulsed by the idea of sex that he idolizes innocence to, in itself, a very excessive degree. I'm not necessarily discounting it. Maybe he was supposed to be a kind of pedophilic character. But I would also disagree, then, with your interpretation of the hotel scene. The hotel scene, for me, is him letting himself be that sort of worldly, you know, sexual creature that he doesn't allow himself to be because he feels it would dirty himself and therefore his art. That seems to me more a transgression against his personal artistic rule than necessarily a reaching out for that last grasp of innocence. As when he says, the moment I touch you, you cease to be innocent and you cease to be a girl. If he's the one engaging that, then he is putting an end to that innocence and is making her the same as him, ultimately. Making her an adult. Huh. I actually really like that. Huh. I think what I think what's unique about the... And I'm going to do that call back to the Izumi scene, is that the word choice... I don't think in the Japanese dub it specifically says pedophile anywhere in there. I think it's... I think the terms are basically like very, very creepy or that's not okay or not specific calling it out. I think in the English dub, he just says, Oh, he's like a straight up pedophile. I yeah, think and that, that those are the subtitles I got from Mizumi that he's like, he, his, if I remember correctly, he's like, Oh, he's a, he's a straight up pedophile. It, those are the subtitles I had. I remember, I think it might have been just where I was watching the original. Uh, like not original, but like when I watched it the first time, it was that, and that might be the trans. That might be differences of translation. I'm not sure if that's the reason mm-hmm. that that I remember it being different. But I really want to kind of look, and again, that goes back to my point of wanting to go back into the manga and kind of read more. If if they don't expand upon Segus's character more, then it's kind of like okay, then that really just didn't have an effect. But also to kind of see if that if that like tea cafe scene is repeated, you know, what word choices are used in the original manga versus, you know, the English translation. And if that was also varied from the anime, but again, that's a, that's a future point. Segusa feels to me almost like a character that the less is actually known about him, the better, because that mysteriousness lends so much to that sort of creepy mystique he carries about him. I, mean, I think that's why we all find him so interesting, is that we don't know a lot about him, and what few actions we get from him leave us very confused, and like with Andy and myself, have, can leave very different impressions. Yeah. The same, however, I don't think can be said about Momoko. Our, uh, our dear, sweet, pigtailed oh, no. Momoko, who is... I wouldn't even flying the barely at mass to begin with rainbow flag in this show. <laughs> in a way, oh. yeah. I, the thing is, Mo- Momoko at times is actually the most rational out of all of them because she, she's so disconnected. She from is, else's yeah, she is so disconnected from these whole this whole relationship mess. She's able to look inwards on her friends and go, "You idiot! You're stupid!" Why are you trying to ruin what we have over a dude? And just talk, He's just talk just to one, each other. Yeah, one person. We're two. We'll support you more than he can. Why are you trying to destroy this over something that I don't understand? And I, I think Bomoko, in those moments, kind of takes 
the role of the viewer as as, as we did you know, the outside looking in trying to just ho- desperately hold on to her friends as they almost tear each other apart over these emotions that she really and truly struggles to understand she doesn't know why they feel this way because she can't share those feelings so while she has her own internal conflicts kind of i think they talk about it once she's able to try and speak to her friends like hey no no, we have to have some discourse here that's what friends do and it was it's nice to see a character who's able to look inwards be kind of introspective about it and put a little bit of reason into this very illogical uh problem that the show is about and to kind of that point as momoko taking the role of the viewer she has i'm I don't remember a specific scene, but I almost feel like she definitely did or called out Hongo at some point. She has specific scenes with each of the characters. She she is that connecting glue. Like when she's just alone talking to Nina, either on the phone or confronting her by the riverside, she's Kazusa's bestie. You know, they have those conversations in the camping trip. Momoko's talking to Rika solely, um, mm-hmm. just solely Rika. And then again, I'm not quite sure on the Hongo, but I feel like at some point. Momoko either called her out for something or spoke to her directly about another point. She's she's the only one to do that amongst the group. I I agree. She was like multi, she was like the emotional support for a lot of characters, and they they didn't really give it back to her when she needed it. But at the same time, I, while she provided a pretty good third person objective view of what was going on with other characters, I thought. Her own situation with that, with the boy who liked her, was a little. She didn't handle it well, and I th- at the. Does anyone remember the the that guy that character's name? Uh, the boy redhead. who. Yeah, the, the, the red, red. Yeah, guy. the redhead who went to her. Who they 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 went to a different school together a long time ago, and he sort of crushed on her, and they tried to go out. They had a date. She wasn't that into it, and then. She's ends up kind of being really rude to him. I feel like in a few scenes, I think, because I think it she, was justified. I, I think so. so I, I think well, they but... conveniently at the end made him an asshole, and that sort of justified a lot of her behavior towards him. But a lot of the conflict could have just been avoided with her being more honest from being like, "Hey, I'm not that into you. I'm sorry." Okay, half the conflict in this show could have been avoided by just being more yeah, honest with people. Yeah, but, I mean... And at, that's at, why at that, I just at that age. don't like conflict that's created by bad communication. I, I, it, it's done everywhere, and I just have a low tolerance for it. I, I, I understand that, and I, I do sympathize. But I'm going to tell you, no one communicates that well at that age. No, no one yeah. is able to look someone in the eye... Especially if we take Momoko's character, who has never had a relationship like this, get confronted with someone that she vaguely remembers, and then has to tell him that, hey, you're kind of an asshole. I don't want to see you anymore. That's really, really hard to do, especially if we accept her character as the one that is very caring, very emotionally sensitive, who doesn't like hurting or rejecting people and well, I, I won't essentially agree 
with the statement that he was made into an asshole. I think from from he just the called moment, her a it, slut out of nowhere. Like yeah, he's completely uncalled for. I, I would, I would like, say, this, I, I would say was, that instead of being made into one, they simply uh, revved it up for the sake of episodical time limit. Because from the moment of the very the very first date, you know, when she kind of goes through her like, well, you know, he only paid two hundred yen, that he keeps bragging on about it. Like I, I was just sitting there watching. Yeah, this guy sucks. Get rid of her, sweetheart. Get just get get rid of him. He's not he's not good for you. You need to be elsewhere. This is not okay. And then I was just proven right. As you often are. Yeah, it was clear she didn't really like was not into him at all. I think even no. if I, I think even if well two two points I think even if she was I think that just still doesn't take away the fact that he's not a likable character and I'm not sure if that's supposed to just be on purpose like to I, for for the writing of it. My there's only twelve episodes, so who knows? I, I think like yeah. the problem with Redhead is, and, and this feeds back into. Uh, Kokomo's own Komoko? Momoko. <laughs> Momoko. Momoko. Okay. Coco. That's where we <laughs> want <laughs> to go. No, no, no. We'll get that first try. Don't do it. <laughs> it's not even the right melody. I'm so ashamed. Uh, <laughs> you try. I, I harken back to Darling and the Franks here and the character of Ikano. The ghost. Because both of Ikano Darling. and. Remind me which one was Ikano. Ikano is the one with the blue hair, glasses. uh, Purple glasses. She's glasses chip. Okay. Both of these characters being the lesbian of the show, for lack of a better term, even if (laughs) not exactly that phrase, they're both very awkwardly written, but for different reasons. Ikano back in Darling and the Franks was rather understandable. You know, I've never been instructed on anything about sex at all. How do I process the entire idea of homosexuality? So while she gets very little representation with that, and the whole plot is just completely swept under the rug, her actions make sense. My problem with Momoko is that it seems as though her lesbianism is driven by her rejection of the redhead and not through anything else. Like, it seems that she comes to this sort of sexual awakening out of rejection rather than self-understanding, which... Basically, it comes down to the idea of lesbians are just women who've had bad relationships with men, which is just not entirely accurate at all. And I, I, it's very frustrating because, much like Ikano, her whole, her own, her whole own sexual orientation, identity—I don't even want to call it a crisis—just sort of acknowledgement is swept under the rug Awakening. towards the end. She doesn't really know how to deal with it. But it just, it doesn't, it feels like it isn't justified. Much like Ikuno, the question is arises, why have this character be this way if you're going to do nothing with it? And they, and they leave it even very open-ended towards, at the very end in the post credit scene, they show her walking away with Nina after, I think they saw uh, Kazuza and Izumi on a train somewhere. Mm-hmm. And they sort of hint, like, maybe they have something going on. Nina's, they just Nina's sort of leave it up in the too. air. Which I, I guess, considering how little they develop, it, they develop it, is probably for the best. But at the same time, you're left sort of wondering, like, was it really necessary for this in the first place? But then, I would say, 
it does sort of make sense that the reason she acts the kind of glue that holds that friend group together is because she needs external stability to deal with her own internal instability. She has enough going on on her on her plate already. She doesn't need everyone else's relationships collapsing around her. She doesn't need that crap. No. Yeah, Being a lesbian could, is hard enough. If I could interject, I feel like, you know, get, get sort of bringing back redhead Satoshi, I feel like what I interpreted as, like, her overreactions to, like, a pretty bland, seemingly nice person who later, later, later turns out to kind of be an asshole, a lot of it, a lot of her overreaction, I think, was motivated by the fact that she didn't actually realize that, oh, I'm attracted to other women and I don't really care for boys, and that not realizing that sort of fueled maybe her overreaction to, to like, some of the relatively innocent... Ex- um, interactions she had with Satoshi to begin with. Right, like, it's like um, some of those early interactions come across as yeah, he's a little jerkish. He's a 16-year-old boy. They're all jerkish. True. And, and, but I think that, that gets to the point then that because her own sexual identity is not really well laid out in the show, they have to ramp up Redhead's actions to justify her breaking away with him in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean... It, it was it was clear like okay you clearly aren't a tr- well, well as the viewers we knew like okay clearly it, it's apparent she's more attracted to to other girls or other women yeah that, like they start and... foreshadowing that immediately okay it's in yeah, the, it's yeah. in the op you you yeah. see Nina saying in front of a fan it blowing up her skirt and Momo's just looking up at her like she's like Venus herself it's like ooh ooh you're pretty that that's it that's that's the whole interaction between them. Up until the very end, when she yeah, when she breaks away from discount jackass redhead, and then she goes, she calls uh, Nina in a fit of emotional panic, going, "A boy touched me that I didn't like him. Now I'm." He grabbed her wrist. Yeah, I need you. That was such a that was such a strong wording to describe. (laughs) Yeah, like wrist. Like she wasn't even like. Cold. He, he just grabbed her wrist. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, and the thing is, that's also weird. It's saying, like, when you say, like, oh, a boy touched me and I didn't like it, well, that sentence comes across as very sexual. Yeah. The, act, the action yeah. that happened was, it was aggressive. It was, you know, a bit, bit forceful with her. It's not something you'd like to see. Yeah, it was, it was oh, asshole yeah. yeah. But that's not the same. Just because, not liking someone because they're an asshole doesn't suddenly make you gay. Yeah. So are we, so are we Nina, saying... I need you to come and cleanse me. A boy touched me. And poor, poor Nina is just walking through the red light district. Just her sense of self has been shattered completely. Then she gets that? What's she supposed you to know, do? Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of write it off as her not quite realizing where she, what's going on with herself. And that is encouraging these overreactions. I don't know. Do we do so? Are we saying that Momoko is the worst written character in the show? She's the most I don't think so. Or, or I think she just didn't get the time she deserved. Un- mm. she more- of the main cast, yeah. she is very underdeveloped. She had. I- I'm going to coin a term. I'm going to call it Econo syndrome. Character lesbian characters who don't get enough development and whose lesbianism is only introduced at the very end. The Econo character, token lesbian. Mm. Yeah. Also, also fair. Yeah. Okay, that's very fair. I yeah. accept this. Can we? Uh, can we talk about how 
Nina Sugawara is a freaking sociopath. Did anyone get no, that? No, we can talk about the fact that she's <laughs> almost a sociopath, but the writers don't have the balls to go all the way, and it frustrates fair. me. Very fair. Mm-hmm. They do not take the final steps required. The animation when she's on the train with Izumi, and then bas- basically has has him touch her butt, and then they're off the train, and then... I forgot what the exact conversation is, but it he basically... Was, sorry, just to be oh, clear, yeah, like the, no one was yeah. touching her butt. No Correct. one. No, it was all her. Yeah, right. yeah. okay. That was a lie 100%. on her part. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't sure if they just didn't show that, like, the oh, person no. who no, was totally recorded what? Uh, Rika Sazaki and her boyfriend. Yeah, she's manufactured scenes before, like we saw in episode two, I think, where she had Kazusa say, my crotch is itchy to ward off a stalker. So yeah. she's... To be fair, that was... That. Th- Maybe she lied about this, but she said that it was like advi- more or less advice that from little trick advice from, came at, uh, yeah from her teacher, yeah. But which makes a- sense, like if you're a young actress, obviously they're predators. To have like an older actress be like, "Hey, here's some advice. This can keep you safe. Try this." I I I bought that. To but to that specific scene with Izumi, where they get off the train, and he basically refuses, and she walks past him and says, "But you were still hard." Just that one scene in that slow motion where she hers. just smiles. That yeah, look in and her it's that was not perfect. It is not followed up on. I know. No. Mm. And th- this is especially I, again. I can't speak for the original Japanese. In the English dub, the way she's voiced from the very beginning comes across as oh, this this girl's a little sociopathic. And in some of her in some of her actions, and even as she admits things, you're like, "Oh yeah, I put on an air of being more sophisticated, or I put on the right. show of trying to be, you know, more mature and worldly and everything." So much of how she speaks, so much of her language, the very fact that she has this whole backstory as an actress, people who are essentially trained to lie to you to tell you that there's something other than what they are, mm-hmm. all seems to lean to the point that this girl lacks empathy, that she's very I don't want to say necessarily I mean, yeah, self-centered, but also very manipulative and very careful in how they go through social interactions because they're trying to get what they want out of it. At so many points through the show, we get those little hints, especially that train scene that she's trying to orchestrate things to go her way, but at the end, like when she's overhearing the whole the big confession scene with uh, Kazuza and Izumi, just sort of goes to the flow. And I'm like, I'm expecting, like, knife-in-the-bathtub scenes here from Psycho from this girl. That would have been a twist of a show. Yeah. No, the thing is, I'm we expecting get some, get some that. It would be a twist. That would be perfectly fine by me to have her go that way, because that's how it felt she was being built <laughs> up to the last couple I, of episodes. I heard that she take. dresses up as Izumi and tries to kill him. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been great. I would have loved Ooh, that. Very nice. I, re- I heard a take where it was essentially saying that because of her Nia's background being an actress, she's she's had all these expectations and sexual expectations kind of put on her from a very young age, and that in and of itself has I don't want to say broken. I can't remember the exact term that was used in like the specific discussion on it on her character but it's essentially that because of all those expectations because of her relationship with the director um that it wasn't so much that she was manipulative it was she's always just trying to meet the expectations of others in a weird way doing what everyone else thinks that 
they want from her. So in the sense of like Kazusa saying things to Nina, she's always trying to put on the airs of someone who's coming from a wise position because she thinks that's what Kazusa needs or wants. And then kind of in the idea of Izumi being a boy, you know, it's like, oh, but don't you just want me for my body? I can't remember if that was a specific line in the last uh, episode that There not. was a line there when he he uh, jumped into the school and he did sort of say that like I, I love, <laughs> I love uh, Kazusa, but I'm sexually attracted to Nina. And Nina's mm, like, that's what it was. yeah, that's okay. Yep. You want this? You can have this. And she's been and she's been the one who's most comfortable with the idea of sex throughout. She was the one who started the whole thing. Exactly. She said she'd want to have sex before she dies. It's the one area that she she has no experience in. But yeah, no, I just wanted to share that as a interpretation Such, of everything. It's just a character that I feel could have been handled better. Fine the way she was to an extent, but I would have loved to have seen something different from her. I almost feel like she be- like I could envision her character, like, you know, take take her entire backstory and character, package it up, and put it in a different show. Like, a show just focused yeah. around her character, I could see, and mm-hmm. without maybe going as far to the extent of Future Diaries, for, for many, many specific reasons that Future many Diaries reasons. was, um, what I felt she was misplaced in some ways, or at least mm-hmm. misused throughout the show. I mean, hey, can, you you can kind of see that in her very design. Like all the other girls, while they're unique, they all consider themselves more or less plain. And then there is her, who's constantly referred to as some like ephemeral goddess. She is the only one with bright blonde hair and as elf said, alabaster skin, and her eyes are always blue and sparkling. She just feels like she was plucked from somewhere higher and then dropped down into this sort of lower plane of existence. Andy, you you had a point? Yeah. Can we just track her motivations for a second and how it evolves? It it seems like she starts out trying to help Kazusa and Yuzumi get together by sort of forcing them to confront their feelings. And then at some point, she decides she actually kind of likes Izumi, and then is incredibly open about why, about going to confess his love to Izumi. Even and he, she says as much to Kazusa, who's dating, who at this point is dating Izumi. And then after, I guess the confession at the end, it's almost like she then maybe is interested in Momoko. But then there's also that, th- there's also yeah. a piece in there where, and I think it's after the either I think it happened has to happen before the culture festival or right after the culture festival after Nina does whatever she does in in the play, in the play reading. Mm-hmm. There's a conversation between Nina and Kazus, and I, again my memory fails me right now, but they basically talk about how Nina's happy for, uh, happy for Kazusa for being with Izumi. And again, I'm not sure if that like lends credence to the fact of like just saying the things that other people want to hear, and then she's saying, "But I'm going to go do my own thing at the same time." Exactly, that lends credence to the whole idea that she has that she she's meant to be this kind of sociopathic character. But again, exactly. it, it's just fumbled at the end, and mm-hmm. really leaves you wanting. 
Which is also which is also makes me think. And again, I don't know, but really like I'm going to find out. It's not. I'd really like to. I'm going to. It's the idea that because the final volume of the manga came out after, right? This this was a, this was announced in, I think, the seventh the. There's eight volumes, so I want to say maybe the fifth or sixth volume had come out. I don't know if because of the production time of which it takes to make an anime all the way through, get it light, get it fully licensed, pushed out onto actual television and streaming services. I don't know if the ending differs uh, or the resolution of these characters differs because it. I, I would assume not so much because Mario Kata had that creative license in both forms. She's the writer of the manga and the anime. But it's it it does bring the question to me of was it made to feel this way because it wasn't finished and there while there is a set end goal it's not set in stone for the manga at the time again I mean, that's left up to speculation but yeah well, I think you, it you'd is have to see from the source material because only half the girls actually get some kind of conclusion Hongo uh, Nina and Momoko. Their, their endings, they are left up in the air. We don't know where they're going to go or what's going to happen to them. And there's a new batch of lit- literature club members, too. In mm-hmm. that scene with Hongo, when she's it, it's like she's on the play of her and Milo-san or something like that. It's like oh, she's... It, it's You see it like just a half second. She's uh, instructing two new members on some kind of performance for Milo-san and uh, the other, the only other female teacher that we see, mm-hmm. uh, they're getting married. Right, that's what it was. And she's going to put on performance for them. Th- this is th- this may also be a hot take when I say this. I think the show could have done fine without Sonaze Jujo, just as a character. Like it was just shoehorned in there, then kind of just left out. Um, Sonaze Sonoe being the um, the Gyaru character that's in Rika's class. Oh, oh, oh yeah, the, oh, yep. oh, the, yeah, the Gyaru. Yep. Okay. The, the, the Gyaru character. girl, yeah. Because yep. she comes Gyaru. in, and again, that, that that's also like a little bit of a plot point that I would have liked to see more explored or have more of an impact, because she's there as kind of this character who, you know, is very open about enjoying um, sex with her boyfriend. And that's interesting the fact that you have that foil to rika sonazaki but then it's kind of like oh she got pregnant bye at the same time at the same time rika's arc finishes that i guess plot point gets dropped in which leads which leads the principal and vice principal to making those rules about you know no interactions between the sexes and from there but i almost feel like you didn't need that character entirely to be there Except it's just the convenient plot point of that. I mean, it, it is kind of a convenient plot point, but at the same time, she is a foil for a lot of the rest of the main cast. She's someone who's very extroverted, very open about her sexual proclivities, as you made clear. And I think most importantly, she acts... that The suddenness with which she is withdrawn, I think, acts as... Well, I think a bit of a warning, perhaps, on Okada's part of suddenly this girl gets pregnant and she's out of school and it can just happen like that. I feel that was more, I, I almost think it was more perhaps a moralizing message by Okada than anything else with the way that happens. 
the the point that uh, she also ends up having the kid anyway, which is not something a lot of girls get pregnant in high school. They they don't end up carrying to term. I think that was more for the sake of removing her from the plot so that a character like her doesn't interfere with the final character resolutions of the main cast. I mean, her resolution was more definitive than quite a few of the main cast. (laughs) That's That's true. And we do see that, no, she has a happy ending. Yeah. Yeah, isn't Jujo like is a, seen as being very happy. It's like in a text message to Rika, right? She yeah. She sees the picture of the baby, mm-hmm. the, the yep. boyfriend and her. Yes, the, yeah. the, the look on the boyfriend's face of just exasperated in that photo I thought was pretty funny, actually. Like, she was having a much better time than he was. Welcome, welcome to being a, a new parent. You get no sleep. <laughs> Oxytocin is a hell of a drug. Mm-hmm. They uh, pump it into casinos. That's true. Anybody have any last thoughts on on the writing, on the characters? I think we've kind of exa- not necessarily exhausted all the avenues of discussion, but we've done a pretty good job I think job we've of hit on all the, the really important points. Out of personal curiosity, because I know all of us might say Rika, was, what was everyone's favorite character in the show? Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Are we asking oh, best the main character cast. or best girl? No, no, no. Best character. Favorite character in the show. I'll just leave it at that. Favorite character in F- the show. Full stop? Full stop favorite character in the show. Elf go. Uh, I gotta go with Rika. I, like I said earlier, that would have been me in that kind of situation. I can't help but completely empathize with her 100%. Even the way she talks to other people, the way that she deals with other characters, everything about That would have been me. I can't help but love her. Doc? Well, as someone who did go to a co-ed high school and was this exact person, I would also say Rika. Andy. Ninety percent of her, I was. Hundred um, percent. I know it wasn't your uh, your cup of tea I'm as like, a show in general. So I'm still thinking. Um I mean I definitely had a for a while I had a close friend who was just like Rika and she had the most satisfying character arc, even though when, like, she, I guess she disappeared for for a few episodes, I, like, felt stressed for her. I'm like, you need to chill. You're, like, in a good thing with, like, a pretty nice dude. Don't don't screw it up. Just chill and learn to relax a bit. Um, yeah, I th- yeah, I definitely emotionally, like, have the most sympathy for Rika. And last but not least myself, Rika. Man, I knew Rika, that was going to be the answer. Rika, best girl confirmed. <laughs> Moving swiftly forward to the uh, the influence section, I couldn't necessarily find anything that would say that this has influenced other anime. It's been I, out for like a year. Exactly. How much yeah, it, it hasn't been well, there. Long well, I, th- enough. I think that's the. I think that's also actually a point about it being only out for a year at the time of recording is that because it came out in the seasonal anime cycles. And isn't necessarily like a huge shonen. Um, not to say that shonens overtake everything, but I think they do stick around more in the the cultural zeitgeist or isekai. They do, <laughs> or or isekai in the sense of Sao, which again at the time of recording has another anime films Sao Progressive coming out. I think it definitely just fell to the has fallen to the wayside, but I think over the years it can be appreciated for being unique. Not only in the genre, but also 
just within the normal seasonal anime cycle. Um, in terms of success, overall, received pretty decent ratings. IMBD.com has a 7.5 overall rating. Funny enough, the Mal rating, the My Anime List rating, is 7.55 as well. So those two are very much in tune. Um, and then again, for those of you who cannot read the original Japanese, like everyone here on the podcast, I'm pretty sure, at least in full, uh, the final eighth volume of the manga was actually just released on November 3rd, 2020 in English. So if you wanted to go spend a day binging this entire series manga, now you can in English. Um, did anyone have a favorite specific moment? I know we've talked about all these various moments throughout the show, but was there anyone in particular that stood out to each of you? And I, I can let you all take a second to think about that. Um, mine in particular, I, I'm going to cheat here a little bit, not going to lie. There were two. The first is the pillow fight, because oddly enough to me, it literally runs from the 1032 mark and ends at the 1123 mark, so it's less than a minute in episode 7. But what it reminded me of, and I'm not sure if this is just my personal spin, there's a, there is this childlike innocence in these moments of you know, high melodrama, you know, interpersonal conflicts, but I think to me it very much reminded me, you know, at some point, the world could feel like it's falling apart, but you do have to have the heart of a child at times to to enjoy life in its simpler moments. And then the second was uh, when Rika Sonazaki's apologizing to Magi at the bonfire, explaining to why she's been treating him the, the way through the past couple episodes, even though they said they'd get together. It was just a feel-good moment for me and something that I found very appealing, but I think that's why sometimes I very much enjoyed these shows because it is this small bit of innocence and again that wonder of being in love for the first time or feeling loved by someone else but elf do you have a particular favorite moment it's probably the moment that least typifies what you'd find in this show but it's got to be the train scene between nina and izumi where she does the whole text message hey touch my ass i think there's a guy behind me that whole scene leading up to her final words as she departs on the next train is there's just such an unsettlingness to it all that it, it's very rare that it's captured as well as it is, but I don't even know how to necessarily describe the emotion except the kind of the kind of being impressed that you get from someone manipulating someone else, which I know makes me sound like a horrible person. But that feeling and the way that's presented in that scene is, oh, it's, it, oh, it's, it's like it's like a drug going into my veins. And that's like where twenty five percent. That's where twenty five percent of the animation budget went. That one scene. It was twenty five percent of the animation budget just to that smile and stare as she boards the train. Oh, it was so yeah. good. Though. So good. Doc, your favorite moment. So, I'd like to cheat here as well and present two. One being comedic and the other one being more emotional. First, the comedic, it's gotta be when Kazusa walks in on Izumi <laughs> in episode one. Yep. Not for her reaction, but for Izumi's. He, the, just the, the blank stare, the turn in the, in the seat, the pants go up, hey, 
How you doing? Doesn't even stop the, the Does playback. not stop the porn video. <laughs> Sorry, just... I, I was I was surprised there, because it actually showed emotional restraint. I thought Azumi was going to have some like huge sort of cartoonish reaction where, oh, oh my god, she's here. But instead, he's just like, he's very calm. Takes him up, probably should should have acted a little bit faster, but like, I mean, the does brain, not, his, his yeah. brain has just shut down at that moment. It's just uh, hey. brain must act, pull up pants, commit greeting. Hello, <laughs> this isn't happening. This is hey, this didn't. Oh, no, closes his, his laptop. Mind is occupied with how do I get her to not tell my parents. Pretty much. That's what's going through his yeah. mind. That is that absolutely what's going through his head right now. It, that just lends to... It, it's very comedic, but also at the same time, it's, it's just... It's very human. And I, I like that they did not choose that moment to go over the top. Because mm. I think if they did, it would have ruined it. 100%. Yeah. The, the second scene that I gotta go with, it is the uh, rooftop scene between... Uh, Rika and totally not Shiro. <laughs> brings right, it back to pay, everybody. Brings it back. His to design pay. is the exact same. Even the eyes are the same color. People die when they are killed. <laughs> but the moment when you know we have some time where he she gives this outlandish demand: "Write me a fifty-page essay on why you like me." <laughs> Because she she can't believe him because she 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 just can't, and then he just walks back up, hands it to her, and just says, "I'm going to tell you why I like you," and it's then it's just cute over and over and over, and then she gives him her response, which is firstly corrected, which is great, but then you know she loses it, and then he finds the page where it says, "If you please," and then just pure ecstatic joy that both of them exude in that moment I could not help but just smile like an idiot and just go yes it's okay sweetie you can find love and here it is please don't mess it up and you're walking away from him honey honey come back he loves you and then we get to your scene where it just it finishes and it's great. Just that whole little arc is just beautiful. Brings a smile to your face. Andy, do you have a favorite moment from the show? Um, I, th- I think I'm going to go with two as well. Uh, <laughs> Poor elf I'm, over I, there. I'm, I'm surrounded by cheaters. I, 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 yeah, I, 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 I was going to go with the rooftop scene with Rika too, but oh no, I had to narrow it down to one. Y'all are unfair. I could go with three. One isn't really a moment. No, no, like, no, no. Okay, no, three no, no, is no, no, too no, no, much. One's a line. Oh, One's just a line. Too much. But, yes, okay. three is too much. This is this is my main one. What's the line? When they were trying to find another word for sex. Oh. And Rika <laughs> suggests the suffering of sexual experience as the phrase they use instead of the word sex. And then they're like, oh, that's a bit long. What if we turn that into an acronym? And they spell (laughs) S-E-X. Sex. I thought that was pretty hilarious. Honestly, Um, my favorite out of the list was Holy Wars. (laughs) Oh, I I thought... (laughs) That was my favorite suggestion. I liked Getting Speared. I thought was pretty funny. That was pretty good. (laughs) 
Just the entire list was just like <laughs> anyone also, else who's not part of that club walks in, you're just like turning right around. The the other moment would be when uh, Kazusa is basically processing the Blu-ray DVD, like that whole like thing that happened. And she finally, she comes around to, oh, she, he, he kind of still is the good guy I know because he loves, he loves trains so much that he wouldn't want to dirty them with porn. That's why instead of train based pornography, he had bus based pornography. And the title of the, uh, yeah, yeah. That's it. That's easy. He's like, and then the, I don't know if they had the subtitles for the DVD title, but it was the wheels on the bus go, oh yeah, harder. Yeah, no, it was the wheels funny. on the commuter bus. Yeah, on the, the commuter, commuter bus. bus. Yes. Go, oh yeah, harder. This is why I put our podcast as explicit because of things like this in these shows. Yeah, I need to, I, each episode is just me need, like trying to have restraint. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. no. You're, you're fine. No, um, sorry, just to, there, there's this one line that I also really liked. It really wasn't much of a moment. Basically, after uh, Rika and Kazusa are both like in a relationship and they're just ecstatic and over the top. I'm sorry, Elf. Um, they there's this really good line in a conversation between uh, uh, Yamagishi, the club advisor, teacher, and Hongo, the chick who's basically blackmailing him. Where he says to her, when someone feels as if they're ahead of the game, meaning like being in, these two are in a relation, are in relationships and they're really happy about it, they act as if they have discovered some truth. At first, it would appear as if they have become more kind, more tolerant, but in truth, their ability to exercise their imagination on their surroundings is greatly impaired. I just, I just really like that line. I agree with it wholeheartedly. How like you become really good at people who are get ahead of the game, become really good at something. They're so quick to get to like give out advice because apparently they're like automatically some expert in like all ways of wisdom in life. Okay. I did not come here to be called out. <laughs> yeah. On the note of Mr. Milo, then can I join the company of cheaters and give my second favorite scene then? Please. Dude, we, it, we, we want you here with us, please. Yeah, come on, join the dark side. In that case it has we to have fall. Cakes and cookies. This is the complete inverse of my other scene, which was very serious. And it's uh, the scene where, or I think it's just prior to the scene where Hongo is like actively trying to seduce Mr. Milo for the first time in the club room. And he just sort of brushes her aside and she just goes like, well, oh, well, what? Don't you like me? Don't you find me attractive? And he just goes on this absolutely beautiful minute long <laughs> rant of why he thinks teenage girls are insufferable and gross. And I am just like going, yeah, the entire time through. Because I'm like, Preach, thank you. Preach. Someone understands the problem of anime logic. Thank you. It all, uh, all it took was the character getting, great, you know, like in a sex chat with a student and getting blackmail for the next 11 episodes. Yeah, and we finally get a competent adult who says, no, believe it or not, anime fans, teenage girls are not a valid outlet for your sexual desire because most of them in real life are utterly intolerable. Well, there goes that, that part of our fan base elf. And the entire no, demographics are gone. <laughs> I, 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 I guess I'm Mr. Milo now. I'll, I'll, I, no, we are not no, calling you that. No, 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 no. Milo is best best waifu of the show. Calling this has it been now. Doc, Milo, Andy, and Xander. <laughs> <laughs> Moving Z on. Xander, come on, come on. <laughs> Moving on quickly. Uh, all right. Moving swiftly forward. 
All right, on to the final verdict. So here on the podcast, we have a rating scale for our final verdict. One to four out of ten means skip the anime. Five to seven out of ten means eh, you should give it a shot. You know, you might like it, you might not. Eight to ten out of ten is an absolute must-watch. Definitely go out of your way to view it. For me, I think any I think anyone who enjoys the high school um, genre of shows or the coming-of-age shows will enjoy the show. Again, it's not in the same category as your shows like Misakoi, Toradora, Klanad, or Gairu, but it is unique in how it is written against some characters better written than others and more developed than others. But I think the show definitely deserves attention and that I think a lot of people would get a certain level of enjoyment out of watching the show. And again, as compared to other shows in the genre. So for me, I give the show an 8.25 out of 10, as annoying as it might be to my fellow podcast mates and to our listeners. So, Elf, final verdict. verdict. Oh, Maidens in Your Savage Season is not a perfect show. But what it does differently to stand out puts it leagues above so many of the other shows within its subgenre. It has issues with characterization, it has some animation issues, it has, in my opinion, a rather forgettable score. But for what it is and for what it does and how it does it, I think it deserves a great deal of credit for breathing new life and new ideas into what is... I think by many considered a kind of tired and stale subgenre. So for me, I would give it, give it a solid eight and a half out of ten. Doc, what is your final verdict? Oh, it's maidens. a one, everyone. We know it's yeah. a one. <laughs> oh, maidens in your savage season is a remarkable show for many reasons. You're not coming to this show for absolute perfection or clear-cut plot lines. You come here because you want to experience a new retelling of the very tired and well-worn high school genre. This show is chock-full of memorable moments, quotable lines, little bit of melodrama, little bit of missed characterization, but despite its few uh, slip-ups, this show manages to achieve something that I have not seen in many other shows before. It is something new, it is refreshing, and I really hope that it does not slip beneath the radar of anyone who's looking for for something that will really hold their attention for some time. My final diagnosis for this show is an 8.5 out of 10. You should definitely watch this. And finally, Andy, what is your final verdict? Oh, man. You know, as someone who watched the show and, you know, overall felt pretty mixed about it, it had a lot of good, good, a lot of the stuff I didn't care for, what honestly probably wasn't a fault with the show, just my own taste. So I, I feel pretty solid about giving it a seven. It's, I don't think it's for everybody. It wasn't for me, even though there, there was a good amount of stuff that I enjoyed. Um, clearly there are some pacing issues uh that we've covered but uh it's not a bad show but 
to be fair and sort of represent the diversity of people who may of how people may feel about the show, I think I'm pretty set on a seven. And as an average rating overall, and yes, we will round up to one decimal place for this average rating. We have an 8.1 out of 10, so it is, on the aggregate score, a must-watch anime. This has been the Postgrad Anime Club Podcast with Elf. See ya. Doc. See you next time. And Andy. Later. That was our review of Omadians in Your Savage Season. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Please join us next time for our review of Space Dandy. I've been your host, Xander, signing off.